Uh, today's sermon title is called, Gotta Serve Somebody. Gotta Serve Somebody. Now, uh, I don't know if, uh, I think in this crowd, probably, probably half or more would remember this. Uh, in 1980, at the Grammy Awards, Bob Dylan uh, sang a song called, Gotta Serve Somebody. And it uh, just always stuck in my mind. And it was uh, from his album, Slow Train Coming. And it was a big, big hit back then. But I want to share with you, as I prepared the sermon uh, this week, uh, this song just really stuck in my head. How, how many of you, like, you would know Bob Dylan if he came on the radio? How many of you absolutely would know it? Let me see. Oh, good, the rest of you are in for a treat. Because if you listen carefully, if you listen carefully, the last chorus, I will give you my best Bob Dylan impression. See, that's funny already. See, you don't, I don't have to do it. I don't even have to do it, okay? But listen to the words of this song, and we're going to decide today if Bob Dylan is a decent theologian or not. Here's what he says. He says, you may be an ambassador to England or France. You may like to gamble. You may like to dance. You may be the heavyweight champion of the world. You may be a socialite with a long string of pearls. You might be a rock and roll addict prancing on the stage. Might have money and drugs at your commands, women in a cage. You may be a businessman or some high-degree thief. They may call you doctor or they may call you chief. Here's the chorus. But you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed, you're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. He said, you may be a state trooper. You might be a young Turk. You may be the head of some big TV network. You may be rich or poor. You may be blind or lame. You may be living in another country under another name. You may be a construction worker working on a home. You may be living in a mansion or you might live in a dome. You might own guns and you might even own tanks. You might be somebody's landlord. You might even own banks. But you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, you're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. You may be a preacher with your spiritual pride. You may be a city councilman taking bribes on the side. You may be working in a barber shop. You may know how to cut hair. You may be somebody's mistress, maybe somebody's heir. You might like to wear cotton, might like to wear silk. You might like to drink whiskey, might like to drink milk. You might like to eat caviar, you might like to eat bread. You may be sleeping on the floor, sleeping in a king-sized bed. You may call me Terry, you may call me Jimmy. You may call me Bobby, you may call me Zimmy. You may call me RJ, you may call me Ray. You may call me anything, but no matter what you say, you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, you're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or maybe the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. <laughs> Pretty decent, isn't it? Now, if you think I'm mocking him, I encourage you to go onto YouTube and take a look at that this week, and I think you'll find that uh, the only thing I didn't do well is you were able to understand more than three words, and so it really wasn't a very good Bob Dylan impression. We're going to find out today if the Apostle Paul, who wrote the book of Romans to the churches in Rome, we're going to find out if the Apostle Paul and Bob Dylan agree with each other on this theological principle. We're going to see if Bob really knows what he's talking about. Let's read the passage in Romans chapter 6, verses 15 through 23. By the way, please don't be watching that on YouTube while we're doing the sermon, okay? Romans chapter 6, 15 through 23, here's what God's word says. It says, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. 
Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness." I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you were now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God, our Lord. Grace is not a license to sin. Let's look back at just that first verse, verse 15, and see what Paul is saying here, that grace is not a license to keep on sinning. Just because our sins have been forgiven doesn't mean it's a license to continue doing it. It says, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. When a child is told, Hey, you can play in the backyard, or you can stay inside and play or watch TV. You can ride your bike on the sidewalk, or you can go to the neighbors and play with them. You can do just about anything you want to do. Just don't go out in the street. What's the first thing that happens? That kid goes to the street and stands on the curb and looks at you and does the toe dip. Right? And they want to see what's going to happen. Is it really okay or is it really not okay for me to do this? Now, sometimes little kids are just trying to uh, figure out where the boundaries are. But many times, we as children uh, do the same thing we do as adults, and we immediately rebel against the things uh, that we should not do. Listen, even when we tell them they can do almost anything, we as humans, because of our sinful nature, gravitate towards what we cannot and should not do. That's just a part of us. Now listen, God has given us tremendous freedom and grace, but that is not an excuse to go put our foot in the street. Yes, we'll be forgiven. Yes, his grace will cover our sin. If you remember in the first half of this chapter, and back in chapter 5, we saw that it was clear that no matter how big our mound of sin is, God's grace is a little bigger. And if you remember back in verse 1 of this particular chapter, it even said, hey, so if that's the, tr- if that's the case, shouldn't we just keep sinning more? Shouldn't we just willingly sin more and more and more so God's gr- we just get more God's grace, right? Paul said, no, absolutely not. No way, no how. And then he kind of repeats himself here. He says, okay, so if we shouldn't do it more willingly, can we go ahead and just sin because the law doesn't hold us anymore? We're under grace? Do we just kind of get a green light to do what we want? He repeats himself, no, guys, no, no. By the way, when he says, by no means, you see that big exclamation point? 
what he's really saying is, are you kidding me? Have you people lost your minds? Don't think like this. Do not think like this. Now listen, when God repeats himself, folks, it is for a purpose. When you're reading God's word and you see that he repeats a phrase or he repeats a line or he repeats a statement, there's a reason for that. Do you know what it is? How many of your children always obey you the first time you tell them something? I hope that wasn't a yes. My key. <laughs> of course they don't, right? We have to tell them. We have to tell them over and over again. We have to keep encouraging them. We have to remind them. Guess what? Sometimes we act like big kids. And God can tell us something. And we hear it. We acknowledge it. We believe it but it doesn't come about in our behavior. So God tells us again. And so any thoughts of us saying, he's, he's just been all this time explaining the gospel. And remember, the first like four chapters, all he's doing is saying, listen, uh, our lives without Christ, we are desolate. I mean, we are, we are just terribly sinful. There is nothing good in us. And God's salvation is wonderful. It is complete. It is full of grace and mercy and total and complete forgiveness. And he's wanting to share with us those two big extremes so that the gospel stays as big as it should be. Because the moment we begin to think, hey, you know, I kind of got this thing down. I'm a pretty good guy. In fact, God's kind of lucky to have me on his team. All of a sudden, we begin to shrink the gospel. That's a dangerous thing, folks. We need to remember that we are lost as lost can be in this world without God's help. And so Paul's saying, listen, so do you just, since you've got God's forgiveness, do you just go, hey, no big deal sinning now. I'll know I'll be forgiven. No biggie. Saying, are you, have you lost your mind? No way, no how. Do not think that way. Do not think that way. But God's repeating himself to remind us to get it through our thick skulls that we can't take his grace for granted. We have to be very serious when we receive Christ as our Savior and His grace covers all of our sins, don't forget, there was a very heavy price paid for that. Very heavy price. God gave His Son to die on the cross to pay that price, to give us that forgiveness, to give us the opportunity to experience that kind of mercy and grace and forgiveness. We cannot forget that because the moment we go, hey, no biggie, no big deal of sinning again, it's almost like, it's not like, but it's kind of almost like going, hey, let me put another nail in there, Jesus. In our minds, folks, we've got to understand that sin is a very serious thing. In fact, he goes on to say that we are all slaves either to sin or obedience. Look in verse 16. He says, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. And that word righteousness is not uh, the actual becoming right all the time. It is the righteousness that comes through justification. It is the righteousness that comes by decree when we give our lives to Christ and God declares us righteous. You see, we're either a slave to sin, not under the freedom and authority of God, or we're a slave to God and set free from our sin. There are no other options. Now, as we as human beings like to think of it this way, well, there's really three options. I can be a slave of sin, which 
equals death. I can be a slave of obedience, which equals righteousness. But what about this? I'm just going to be a slave to myself. I'm going to decide my own fate. I'm just going to be in control of my own life. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to decide what's right and wrong for me. I'm going to declare all those things, and I'm going to be who I want to be, and, and I'm just going to do my own thing. Paul says, folks, that would be nice to think that way, I guess, but it just isn't so. It just is not so. The opposite of being a slave to God is not being in charge of your own life. The opposite of being a slave to God is being a slave to sin. There is no other viable choice or option. You see, Satan works like this. He likes to, he's called the father of lies in the Bible. He likes to give us some choice that doesn't really exist. Because if he can convince us of that, we can think, live our whole life thinking that we're in charge of ourselves when we're really a slave to sin because we, we can't stop sinning on our own at all. And then we suffer the consequences, which we'll see here in a little bit. So we are all slaves either to sin or obedience to Christ. And by the way, think of it this way. The absence of God's presence and control is sinful life of being darkness. When we get through today, we're going to turn out these lights. We don't have any dimmers to turn up the darkness. We don't have to turn the lights off and turn the darkness up. All we have to do is turn the lights off and the darkness reigns. Right? It's like heating your house. If you go home today and you turn off the heat, you don't have to turn the air conditioner on. It's going to cool down real nice and quick for you. Right? Because you've turned off the heat. Listen, if you don't give your life to Christ and you don't put your faith and trust in him and live a righteous, declared righteous life for him, there's no other option. You become a slave to sin by default. You become a slave to sin by default. And so we are slaves to either sin or obedience. There are no other choices. Paul then tells us, remember your past slavery to sin. Remember, he's, he's writing this letter to the churches in Rome. There are multiple churches in Rome. Some are house churches. Some are beginning to gather in places. Uh, there's all kinds of different uh, churches. And this is what they call a circular letter where he's sending it to the churches at Rome, hoping that they will send it from church to church. So he's talking to people who have already trusted Christ here. But look what it says in verses 17 through 19. He says, But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification." Paul is saying, just as you were once a slave to sin and presented your mind, your body, and members to the act of sinning, as a follower of Jesus, we must see ourselves as a slave to righteousness for God's sake, presenting our mind, body, and members to Christ to do right. Because we have been declared righteous, we should act righteous. Now, in this human body, we will never do that perfectly. 
But we certainly can do it better with God's help than without it. By the way, the term slave here is, is not meant in the same way that we understand from an American culture of slavery. Uh, when we think of slavery uh, as Americans, we, we almost always, in our minds, we get, we get the American slave uh, uh, you know, experience in our heads. It's always bad. It's always um, you know, evil. It's always unrighteous. It's ungodly. It's putting other people down and imprison them. That's what, not what this is talking about. This word slavery is actually meant like a good parent. Okay? So if, if your children are obedient to you and they do what you say, are they not in essence in slavery to you? You are their master. You are their boss. That's a good thing. Because you have their best intentions at heart. You don't ever say, hey, listen, don't go play in the, in the backyard. Don't go watch TV. Go play in the street. We don't ever do that because we love our kids, right? We always have their best, uh, uh, their best you know, outcome in our hearts. God's the same way. And so to be a slave of God's is not to take on some kind of, of, of less than human personhood. It's, it's to just be obedient to him and believe what he says because he has our best interest in his heart. It's a good kind of slavery. But no matter how long we've been a Christian, I've been a Christian now for 43 years. It's a long time. We should never, never, never forget what slavery we were once in so that we're always grateful for the new slavery from sin that offers us peace in life. You see, before we give our lives to Christ, we are a slave to sin. We can't stop sinning. We can't stop thinking about sinning. In fact, when we sin and, it gets, and it's fun and it's easy, we do it more, and it just overtakes our life. We can't fight against it. I mean, we try to fight against it. We fail miserably because we don't have the power by ourselves to overcome that sin. When we give our lives to Christ and we accept his free gift uh, of salvation, we are no longer a slave to sin. We are a slave to from sin. It's a freedom. It's a freedom from the old ways, an enslavement to God's righteousness. We have the power of his Holy Spirit in us to overcome sin. We have the encouragement of the church and other believers around us to help us on that path. We just have this whole kind of way about us, both internal and external, that help us to live more godly. In fact, in this uh, uh, passage right here, he uses the word sanctification again. Let me just remind you. What that's talking about is, is part of the salvation going along, and at the moment where we give our lives, this is the timeline, the moment we give our lives to Christ, we accept by faith that Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins, and by putting our faith and trust in him, our sins can be forgiven, and we can be birthed into his family. When we believe that, that's called justification. In that moment, we are declared righteous, and we will always be so. But that starts the process of sanctification. The next day, we should become a little more like Jesus, and a little more like Jesus, and a little more like Jesus. Do we ever reach perfection? No, not on this earth. But we should be, after 43 years, I ought to be a whole lot closer than I was 43 years ago, right? 
And so Paul's saying, listen, guys, this, the thinking of this, this, this thought process of realizing and, and just acknowledging that you're no longer bound to sin and you're bound to freedom in Christ, you're bound to slavery to God, helps you become more like him, helps you become more like Christ. And so don't forget, don't forget, remember your past slavery to sin. But it doesn't stop there. He said the result of slavery to righteousness is eternal life. Look at verses 20 through 22. God's word says, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at this time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Wow. Paul says here that there's a natural consequence to both choices. You know, folks, God has set up the world with just a whole lot of natural consequences. I mean, there's a whole lot. You put your hand on a hot stove, there's a natural consequence that's going to take place, right? Uh, we don't have to read about it in a book. We don't have to uh, do some kind of science experiment. It's just, it's just, we just know what's going to happen. It's just the natural result. Here, Paul says there's a natural consequence to both choices. The natural consequence of living a sinful life apart from Christ produces death. And by, the, by the way, this word death means separation from God in both the present life and the life to come. It means that you experience a separation. You, you don't have a fellowship with him. You don't have a relationship with him now. You, you don't have a, a way to, to connect with him and to walk daily with him. You don't have his help. You don't have his, 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 his kind of presence in your life because you've rejected it. And then, of course, it means uh, death eternally being separated from God. If we don't change our ways, if we don't change our decision, it means suffering the consequence, the natural consequence of rejecting Christ my whole life will be eternal separation from God. But folks, the natural consequence of living this sinful life is kind of doing life on your own power, with your own wisdom, with your own thoughts and your own ability. Now, I feel like I have a pretty decent self-esteem. I find my, my, my esteem in Christ. I know he loves me. I know he sent his son to die for me. I know that I'm valuable and worthy. But here, folks, I, when we decide to do things on our own, we, we kind of lose that. There's nobody to really call us worthy or, or to show us that kind of depth of love. There's nobody to really connect with us on that level. I don't want to do life alone. And by the way, I'm reminded once again of that quote from my, one of my very favorite movies, Rudy. And the priest says to him, Rudy, after 50 years of theological studies, there's two things I know for absolute certainty. There is a God and I'm not him. Now listen, folks, if you want to do life on your own, being your own God for the rest of your life and live in this sinful state and accept the consequences, man, I, I don't know how to respond to that. 
it's like, I just, I, I can't even put words to it. But folks, there is also a natural consequence of living a righteous life, being declared righteous by God, and being a follower of Jesus, which produces eternal life. That's the end game. That's the end game. It produces life and connection to God and his presence in the right now and in the future. Listen, I don't have to do life on my own. I can do life with God's power, with God's wisdom, with God's thoughts, with God's ability to live righteously. And again, I don't do that perfectly. I don't want to ever give that impression. But listen, I would, have, listen, I would much rather do life connected to God than apart from him. Paul ends this passage with kind of a natural ending on its own because he's already alluded to it. He says, there will be a spiritual payday. In Romans 6.23, the Bible says this, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now listen, if this verse ended after, at that comma, this would be one of the most devastating things ever said in the English language, for the wages of sin is death. If that verse ended there, man, what a life it would be. But it doesn't. This word wages means exactly what you think it does. It's payment. Look, you have a contract with your employer, don't you? Uh, the contract is, I'm going to go and I'm going to work, and I'm going to provide you with a service, and then you're going to owe me something. You, you don't get to decide, you know, they don't pay you just because they like you. I'm sorry to hurt your feelings. Uh, they don't pay you just because they think you're a great guy, a great gal, and they'd like you to come back next week. That's not why they pay you. They pay you because they're buying something from you. They are paying you a wage for what you have done for them. You deserve that money. In fact, there are laws to force employers to pay you what that agreement is. So if you go to work and they just decide, you know what, we kind of don't like you. We're, we're not going to pay you for what you've already worked. Now, in the future, that's a whole other story. We're not going to pay you for what you've already worked. They can't do that. There are laws to prevent them from doing that. You get a wage because you deserve it. You've earned it. Paul's saying here, folks, listen, folks, all of you in this room, including me, all of us in this room, have earned and deserve payment for our sinful lives. We have earned it. We deserve it. Listen, if anybody ever tried to make the case that I didn't deserve to go to hell, they wouldn't be standing on very good ground. When you look at my whole life and everything that I've done, that's probably the only conclusion anybody could ever come to. I have been rebellious. I have been selfish. I have been mean. I have been hateful. I have murdered people in my heart. I have been evil to the core. And by the way, I know you're in the same club. Folks, Paul's saying here, we deserve and have earned something for that. And that payment is death. Not just death on earth, but eternal separation from God forever. We, we deserve that paycheck. But he continues. He says, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
Folks, as bad a news as that first phrase is, that's how good this good news is. What he's saying is, even though that's what you deserve, even though that's what you've earned, even though that's what you should be paid, God sent his son Jesus to live a perfect life that we could not live. And he gave it up when he went to the cross and he died a criminal's death for our sins. He was buried and three days later he rose from the dead to prove he was exactly who he said he was, to prove that he was right about everything. By the way, folks, somebody raises, raises themselves from the dead, I think we ought to listen to them. Okay, maybe that's naive on my part. I just think we ought to listen to him. Jesus did that. And so we don't have to receive the wage anymore. Jesus has already taken it for us. Folks, that's a free gift. And what he means by that is, listen, if I were going to give you my phone, and I laid it right there on, the, on this uh, stand, and I said, hey, this is your phone now. Come and get it. Get up. It wouldn't be yours. You couldn't make any phone calls this week. You couldn't uh, do any text messaging this week. You couldn't play any games this week. You couldn't do anything with my phone. But only if you come and say thank you for the gift, I will take it. That's the moment when the phone becomes yours. And it's exactly the same thing for what Jesus did on the cross. Jesus died on the cross for everyone. But only those who receive the gift will get the benefits from it. There are a lot of people that see the gift laying on the table and they'll, they'll go, yeah, that's a pretty sweet deal. Thanks, Jesus. That was, that's a nice thing. That's pretty good. And they go on about their lives. There are some who say, ah, yeah, I don't need that. But those who say, wow, I'm so glad that gift is on the table because I got a payment to make I can't make. I'm going to pick up that gift and I'm going to accept it for myself. I'm going to receive it. When we put our faith and trust in Jesus, folks, everything changes. Everything changes. Our eternity changes. The Holy Spirit comes into us. He gives us the ability to live this, this more righteous life. We have God's help with us day by day. Everything changes. You see, folks, the reality is Bob Dylan was right. I'm not suggesting we should consider him a great theologian. But on this particular topic... He was absolutely right. He said, you've got to serve somebody. You've got to serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you've got to serve somebody. I think Bob Dylan wrote that song after reading this passage. Maybe. <laughs> it might be a stretch. But the question for us today, folks, is this. Will we continue to serve sin and wait for the natural wage that is assigned to that? Or will we choose to serve Christ, give our life to him, and receive the natural wage that is assigned to that? Abundant life and life eternal. It's our choice. But the reality is, folks, we're all going to serve somebody. Here in just a few minutes, we're going to see the testimonies of five people who have decided to follow Jesus in their life. Some have been Christians for several years. They've already put their faith and trust in Jesus, and they are eternally secure in Jesus' arms for eternal life, and it happened the moment they put their faith and trust in him. What they are doing today is being obedient to Christ by testifying by baptism, 
what has already taken place in their lives. They are saying, listen, we believe that Jesus died. He was buried and rose again to pay for our sins. And my faith and trust are in him and him alone to save me from my sins. This is a wonderful time where they testify to you and we get to witness their testimony of how they put their faith and trust in Jesus. Their eternity was set the moment they did that. But it's still an incredible thing here to be here today and see these people say publicly to everyone, I'm a follower of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that gives us such great and clear guidance. We thank you for the truth that we've heard today. God, as we contemplate our own lives and the reality that we are going to serve somebody, I pray that you'll help each one of us. You'll send your spirit to convict us of our sin and help us to know that we are helpless without you. God, help everybody in this room put their faith and trust in you and receive the natural wage of being a follower of Jesus, eternal life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.